0: I'm Andy Cassette,
1: and I'm Jesse Prey, and this is a Love Murder Quickie. Welcome to
0: Thanksgiving.
1: Yes, welcome to Thanksgiving, where we will be counting down some heinous crimes that happened at Thanksgiving. We thought, because this season and this holiday, and especially this year, is going to be pretty hard on a lot of people, that we would do some bonus content. Whether you are seeing your loved ones and you need to escape them for a while and listening to some friends like us, Or whether because of COVID you can't see your loved ones and that sucks as well and you're feeling a little lonely, then you can come and hang out with us and listen to horrible tales of murder if that's what your jam is. Yeah. Either way, we would love
0: to accompany you during this holiday.
1: Yes. We would love to be your greater extended family here. So. For this one, like I said, we'll be counting down four heinous stories. Each of us have two stories, but the actual list was put together by someone else. So Andy and I did not determine where these stories were going to fall in what the arbiter decided was the level of heinousness. So four should be the softest, as soft <laughs> as murder can be.
0: Yeah, and, So I guess warning yeah, if that one's warning. Not
1: good. <laughs> yeah, and then number one, the last one we cover should be the most heinous. However, we will debate at the end whether we agree with the ranking. So I think that we should just jump right in, Mandy. and and I believe that you are first. I am indeed.
0: I am starting with story number four, The Bludgeoning.
1: Ooh.
0: Here's my Jesse Prey lead.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm really excited about this.
0: When a husband kills his wife (laughs) in the most brutal way possible, it would take a surprise star witness, the ex-girlfriend he called to help clean up the murder, for the prosecution to take him down.
1: Oh, I really like that. Okay. That was good narration. Okay, I'm, I'm really excited for the story now.
0: I'm also going to do my Jesse Prey sourcing and note that this article is from ABC News and it is by Clayton Sandell, Carol McKinley, and Emily Shapiro. And it came out Wonderful. November 18th, 2019, so it's a recent I always get the recent ones. You,
1: you do. Know. I I like the developing ones also. If it was really how you were doing Jesse Prey sources, you would you would have waited until middle of the article to do them. I'm so, just, I think
0: I'm just saying doing them in general because
1: I am yeah. pretty
0: sure last time I had to like edit it in because I did not know what I was doing.
1: I <laughs> am ready. So, this guy kills his wife and then calls his ex-girlfriend? Tell yeah, me all about it. Classic,
0: you know, classic tale. Okay, here I go.
1: A Colorado man has been convicted of killing
0: 29-year-old Kelsey Barrett, who was his fiancée and the mother of his young daughter, following a dramatic trial that brought bombshell testimony from witnesses, witness, including a fellow inmate and his former girlfriend. <gasps> Oh, it's his baby mama. He killed his baby mama. Yeah, it's his baby mama, and he's, like, not. He doesn't keep it together. As the trial of Frazee came to a close, prosecutors Monday described the case as a, quote, deliberate, premeditated, cold, and cruel murder. The verdict was delivered just hours after closing argument. Frazee was found guilty on all counts, including first-degree felony murder and three counts of solicitation to commit murder. He was sentenced an hour later to life without parole. You know what we call that?
1: We call that an L-wop. He got l <laughs> He got L-wopped
0: plus 156 years. Whoa, they got
1: him good. The
0: maximum possible sentence. Quote, your actions were vicious, senseless, without reason, nor explanation. Kelsey spent her last night Caring for you. You repaid that kindness by viciously beating her to death. Judge. Yeah, the judge said that. Judge Scott Sells said, After you beat her, you burned her body like a piece of trash. Your crimes deserve the absolute punishment available. Frazee was accused of attacking Bareth with a baseball bat at her Woodland Park, Colorado home on November twenty second, 2018, which was Thanksgiving, oh. while the couple's one-year-old daughter, Kaylee, sat in the playpen in the back room.
1: No, that's some, like, Dexter-level shit
0: right here. Yeah, it's bad. Prosecutors allege Frazee then put Bareth's body in a black plastic tote and burned it on his property. His defense attorneys, who did not call any witnesses, stressed that a body and a murder weapon have never been recovered, which, as you and I both know, like, if there's no body and murder weapon, that's, like, really hard to That's really hard convict to convict. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. In closing arguments on Monday, prosecutors said Frazee knew Barrett, 29, was dead because he never attempted to contact her after November 25th, 2018, which, like, not a good move on your part, bro.
1: No. Prose-
0: Prosecutor Beth Reed also reminded the jury that Frazy Frizzy I literally his name throws me off but I just hate him anyway that <laughs> <laughs> was captured on a neighbor's surveillance camera outside Barrett's condo at the same time he claimed he was 40 miles away tending to his cattle.
1: Oh, this guy's no good. No. Did he have priors too? I mean, he's if he's like beating her that extensively, I wouldn't be surprised if he had hurt I, other people in the It past. doesn't say
0: anything in here about that, yeah. which is crazy. Um, Reed showed the jury security camera photos that captured Frazee's red pickup truck driving in Woodland Park on Thanksgiving with a large black tote box in the back. Quote, her beaten and battered body is in that box, which she keeps on the back of the truck while he eats Thanksgiving dinner.
1: Brutal. brutal oh so i want him to choke on a drumstick yeah reed told jurors that they did not
0: need to agree on Frazy's alleged motive in order to convict him of a murder quote the reality is reed told the jurors only one person knows why which you and i also say all the time
1: yeah that's so sad oh that's so sad that poor baby girl
0: I know. Frazee's ex-girlfriend, Crystal Lee, was a star witness for the prosecution and testified that Frazee called her to come to Barreth's house to clean up the bloody aftermath. <sighs> Lee, mm-hmm. Lee told jurors that Frazee admitted to tying a blindfold around Barreth's head and asked her to guess the scent of candles before beating her to death with a baseball bat.
1: They weren't even fighting. Like, this wasn't just a crazy attack. This was a premeditated thing. Also, I really, really love scented candles, so that makes me really sad. I literally read this, and I knew you were going to say that because I, I was like, we really have a Yankee candle obsession.
0: Yeah. So he was like, he was just like, what Yankee candle scent is this? <gasps> No, it wasn't Yankee Candle. I don't want to give Yankee Candle a bad name because he's No, like
1: don't. To, he's but true. I was like in my brain, it was like uh, right now I think Nathaniel and I could like tell the difference between evergreen mist and balsam and cedar <laughs> at the Yankee Candle. And I, this would be something we would do together. This is so – that's the worst bait and switch I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. So you can thank Nathaniel for that. Wow. Yeah. Quote, I saw
0: blood all over the floor, blood all over the wall, she testified. There was blood on the front of the stove and the dishwasher and on the floor there were bloody footprints. Lee, who was admitted to disposing of Barrett's phone, has pleaded guilty to tampering with physical evidence. Records show Barrett's phone traveled with Lee's phone to Idaho where Lee says she destroyed it. She is awaiting sentencing once Frazee's case concludes. Last Friday... An inmate testified that Frazee recently asked him to use his connections to a prison gang to kill several witnesses in the case, including Lee.
1: Oh my God, he's pulling some father of the year trying to get hits from behind bars shit and shenanigans. This never works, kids. never works.
0: Nope. The inmate says he and Frazee were in jail together from September 26th to October 12th, 2019. Quote, He would pass me notes if his information was too sensitive, the inmate said, claiming Frazee told him he'd take care of him financially when he got out. Like, what a tool.
1: With what money, too? And and when you get out in 156 years? (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: In court, a state investigator read from a number of those notes, which were written on paper towels and napkins. The notes the investigator testified contained hit lists along with detailed instructions on where to find the witnesses. The list included Lee, her parents and her husband. So you call your ex-girlfriend to come clean up a horrible crime scene that you did. She helps you a little bit with disposing of evidence. And then you want to kill her, her entire family and her ex-husband.
1: Yeah. No, this is so bad. This is so bad. By the way, this is worse, way worse than the one I'm about to do right after this. This order is already wrong, okay. <laughs> this is bad. yeah
0: our our third party is demoted, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> our, we he never names himself. It's always Nathaniel, guys. Every time we're like an it's unidentified nice. third party, it's always Nathaniel. So blame Nathaniel for this. <laughs>
0: quote, They all need to disappear unseen until. after the trial, said a note, which the investigator testified appeared to be in Frizzy's handwriting. Quote, I'd really like to see Crystal with a bullet in her head.
1: Oh my god! Also, who is he expecting to do all this murder? He couldn't even kill one person. Now he's trying to kill all of these people? It's just...
0: Defense attorney Adam Stegerwald questioned the credibility of Lee and the evidence, staying in his closing statement on Monday. Quote, the case has been built on a foundation it cannot support. Patrick Frizee is not guilty.
1: What? He sounds pretty damn guilty to me. And also, if there's only – which, by the way, the evidence sounds great against him, but now he's digging himself a hole by trying to hire people to kill all of the witnesses. Yeah. So, yeah, are you kidding me? I think that, like,
0: I really do think that there could have been room for this defense attorney to argue that he was not guilty, though, because they didn't find a body or um, a, a murder weapon. weapon. So it's like I agree. Until he
1: started trying to exactly. murder people from jail, he really he did acted it himself really
0: stupid. Um. Stierwald argued that the case against Frizzy is circumstantial and based on a story made up by Lee, adding that she didn't cooperate with the investigators until the district attorney agreed to a deal to not prosecute her for more serious crimes. There is not one word from Crystal Lee until she has a signature on the dotted line, Steerwald said. There is nothing that she is talking about that is believable. Stegerwald also pointed out that neither Frazee nor Lee's DNA were detected anywhere in Bareth's condo, despite the prosecution theory that her condo was where Frazee killed Bareth and where Lee cleaned up the aftermath. Also, wouldn't Frazee's DNA- Yeah, his DNA would
1: be there anyway if it's his fiancée and the mother of his child. uh, Ostensibly, he would be in that apartment all the time. Did they not live together- I don't this think they, I don't think they
0: did. I think I don't okay. know. Yeah,
1: because it's it's distinctly listed as her condo. So okay, but still, you would think if they were still actively engaged, he'd be over there all the time, of or course. even just to take the kid for a visit, you know?
0: Of course. Stegerwald also attacked evidence provided by a neighbor's security camera, saying it did not show Frizzy going into Barrett's home or coming out carrying a baseball bat or a tote. In addition Stiegerwald said none of Barrett's neighbors heard or saw anything suspicious on Thanksgiving, which Stiegerwald called an unlikely day to plan a murder. Just cuz it's an <laughs> unlikely day doesn't mean he's not going to like torture her and beat her with a bat, like if he's
1: a psychopath, you know what I mean? I think I think this list that we're doing just shows it's not that unlikely of a day. Literally all of these crimes happened on Thanksgiving. Is there a day of the
0: year when people are less likely to be alone, to be missed? To speak to your family than Thanksgiving Day, Stigerwald asked the jury.
1: What does that have to do with it? And that's the end of this article, which I think is kind of bullshit. Wait, so we don't know what happened? What happened in the trial? Well, Wait, yeah, we have to L, Google this. Yeah, Remember? Oh, I forgot that. Yeah. Was at the beginning. I got so I carried know. away with the story that I forgot he got eloped. I know. I
0: <laughs> I also did. Um, I <laughs> oh,
1: thank God! Yeah, he got
0: eloped plus 156 years, right? Yeah. So I guess it's like I guess it was like cool writing to end on that quote, but it, it definitely like I was like I had the same experience that you did when I first <laughs> read it. I was like I, was oh, like, I got.
1: I was like, okay, good. Yeah, he got punished. What did he get punished for? And then they told us. And then I'm like, how did he get punished? (laughs) That was an interesting writing style choice. (laughs) Yeah, it says like in some of the
0: comments too that the jury was out for less than four hours.
1: Yeah, they did not have to take long on that one. What a scumbag. Yeah so he has oh. been
0: convicted but it, it's funny cuz a lot of people who read this article also had the same response that we did to the ending i think <laughs> i think of, like the order that it's all in yeah. but um but yeah i mean this is that's just like so beyond so i yeah that's number 4 that's count that's number, number
1: 4 two. okay guys i have number 3 and i do not think it's as crazy as number 4 so you'll you'll have to see if you agree with me or if you agree with our Uh, undisclosed third party here so this one is called chores turn deadly a disagreement about chores turns deadly as a 76 year old father is accused of ending an argument by shooting his son So this is also from Colorado. No way. Yep. So I guess they get really murdery in Colorado and Thanksgiving. Be careful, Colorado. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. careful. So uh, this is from the Colorado Springs Gazette by John Enslin. And this is from uh, 2009. Father 76 accused of killing son during Thanksgiving gathering. An argument over chores led to a deadly confrontation during a Thanksgiving gathering at a security home Thursday in which a 76-year-old man shot and killed his 49-year-old son. Aolist Clay Oliver is being held without bond in the El Paso County Jail. Deputies arrested him on suspicion of first-degree murder at his home in the 4,000 block of Oberding Drive where the shooting happened. The death is the fifth homicide this year in the unincorporated El Paso County. At about 3.25 p.m. Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, deputies were called to the home where they found Keith Oliver of Denver dead with a gunshot wound to the head. Sheriff's Office spokeswoman Lieutenant Larry Savine said Friday. According to the arrest affidavit by Detective Ralph Lasasso, the father and son had been arguing for most of the day Thursday about the son not doing chores. It is unknown what chores they were arguing about. At some point, the victim's mother, Marjorie Oliver, 75, asked her son to leave the house, but he refused, Lasasso stated. The father then went to an upstairs bedroom, retrieved a 357 caliber revolver from the nightstand drawer and confronted his son in the garage, the detective said. Aeolus Oliver told detectives that he exchanged about five words with his son before shooting him once. The father told detectives he was pissed when he went for his gun. He confirmed that his son's final words overheard by the mother was that he was trying to stand up like a man And that for that, his father was going to shoot him. Yikes. A detective said Oliver did not remember saying anything to his son before firing the shot. After shooting his son, the father told investigators he sat down on the steps, still holding the gun, until his wife asked him to put the weapon down. When deputies arrested Oliver, he was breathing heavily. Oliver said he was okay, but that he had harmed his son. No shit, Sherlock. Another detective said Oliver told them he was on heart medication and not under the influence of alcohol. Oliver told them he was not under any care for a psychiatric disorder. The father told the detectives he is a former steel mill worker who had served in the military and still worked a daily job. They said Oliver told them that he was paying the rent and making car payments for his twin sons, one of whom was the shooting victim. Deputies have not been called to the home previously, nor were they aware of any trouble involving Oliver or his son. So it looks like he was still financially taking care of his two sons who were 49. And I guess maybe because they also wouldn't do any chores. He just lost his shit. I remember this. You do? Yes. You know this story? Oh yes. my God, please tell me because I've yes. never heard this one. No,
0: I remember this happening and I remember thinking, I like, I wonder how many parents are using this story right now to get their
1: kids to do chores. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Or to move out of the basement. Look at this. Look at this. You didn't want to clean your room? One hundred percent. I remember
0: when this came out and I remember it being around the holidays and I remember talking with my family about it. I wanna say that my papa told me about it. I bet he did. What did he have to say? Yeah. He used to love he used to love printing out stories like printing out newspaper clippings or or cutting out a newspaper clipping or and like circling and highlighting things. And then like when I'd come to visit, he would show it to me. He was always so – he was so funny, but it was very understated. And I I feel like he's the one who told me about this.
1: Oh, my God. I yeah. love that. That's so cute. Yeah. He really liked true crime too, didn't he? He did. He loved true crime. He was
0: the one who gave me the book um, People Who Eat Darkness. Oh, that's
1: so cute. I but remember- he loved
0: true crime. Like he had all the true crime books and films and movies and he, he loved it.
1: Yeah, didn't your grandmother say that when we started this podcast that he would love it so much? That
0: he was he would have been so proud, yeah.
1: That's so, so sweet.
0: Yeah. So yeah, okay, so to- I remember this shit. I remember when this went down. I remember that guy's name because it's like it's like A Y A, right? Yep. It's A Y yep. A L I S. Yep. Yep. I, yeah, I totally I remember that. A-list, my but my grandfather so. also ch- constantly tried to discourage me from living out West.
1: <laughs> so he we used that? Well, seeing as our first two stories are from Colorado, maybe he has a point. <laughs> my next one's from Nevada. Ah! Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> the all out West murder stories. Okay, so, so far, I, I don't know. I think yours is worse. Like, shooting his son is pretty bad over chores, but the bludgeoning in front of your one-year-old and then – trying to kill people from prison, that's definitely worse. I
0: I yeah, I think that yours is would have been a way better opener.
1: I think so too. We definitely got that one out of order. Okay. Okay. What's in the number two slot, Andy? Let us know. I'm gonna start
0: my number two story. We're a- so excited. A Deadly Drive. Ooh. A 1974 Lincoln Continental becomes the most unlikely murder weapon as a woman plows into a Thanksgiving crowd in Reno, Nevada.
1: (gasps) No. Oh, that's terrible. This
0: is, this story's crazy because the woman is actually crazy but she there's a lot in it so i think you guys are gonna like this this article is from news review and it's by brian burkhart and brian did an incredible job painting the narrative for this day so i'm just gonna i'm gonna start reno 1980 At around 47 degrees, it's a warm Thursday in November. It's 2.57 in the afternoon. This isn't just any Thursday. It's Thanksgiving Day, November 27th. People are milling along Casino Row. Perhaps because of the mild weather, there are more tourists than usual here during the tail end of a national recession, Ronald Reagan was elected president weeks prior. This scene is moments away from inscription onto the pages of Reno history. A heinous act will occur on this spot in a matter of moments, an act that, while suspended in that bygone second in time, will live on more than two decades later. The person who will perpetrate the act, while undoubtedly in possession of a diseased mind, will be prosecuted to the gates of, but possibly evade, the ultimate punishment of death. In this quarter century old landscape, Reno is a different town. Fewer towering buildings decorate the skyline, the slate crosswalks downtown aren't yet conceived, nor are the purple flower boxes and trash cans that will give Virginia Street an effervescent character. A time traveler would likely hear the sounds of Kenny Rogers' saccharine lady or Blondie's call me from a passing car radio. Competing with the street sounds are the mechanical jingling, kinkling, and ringing of the slot machines. The noises from the slot machines are from metal striking metal, not the electronic keening that will come with advances of technology that we're familiar with now, obviously. Mm -hmm. The smell of the club Cal Neva's Thanksgiving special, roast turkey or baked ham with vegetables, roll, and butter. First of all, that rolling butter sounds so good.
1: And I'm really hungry, actually. That makes, me, that makes me so hungry.
0: And it was only three ninety five.
1: How about
0: wow. that? Wow! Yeah. What year In is this again? Nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. What a yeah. deal. Three o'clock must signal a change and shift for some of these casinos as the demeanor of the crowd changes momentarily. And a smattering of black and whites join the unusual street corner drunks who clutch free drink totes and older tourists shaking plastic change cups, some brimming, some without enough coins to even make a noise. To the south past the Truckee River, hidden by a curve and the hill that rises to Liberty Street, a six-year-old blue Lincoln Continental heads north on Virginia Street. Death is behind the wheel. In this incarnation, death takes the form of one Priscilla Joyce Ford. She wears a black cape. She turned 51 nine months earlier on February 10th. And even though she's a little buzzed, she made it all the way from her home near Meadowwood Mall. She doesn't even think she's death, though. She thinks she's Jesus Christ or Eve's husband, Alan.
1: What? Adam. What? Okay. First of all, my first impression was Molly Shannon doing, "I'm um, 50. You remember that one? I'm 50 so now I'm imagining Molly Shannon in that role buzzed driving a car thinking she's Jesus Christ Uh huh. please go on she also could think that she's the Holy
0: Spirit who is in her belief system the feminine aspect of the trinity Ford is five feet four inches tall black woman she carries 125 pounds and has brown eyes at shoulder length hair combed back she has crackers and emerald dry wine before leaving on her errand. Her blood alcohol ratio is 0. 0.162. That's Damn. too drunk.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean,
0: crackers aren't gonna soak that up, baby girl. Like <laughs> no, no. <laughs> crackers will not suffice. That's too drunk to be driving legally, but many have made it home with higher. It takes another minute for the Lincoln to make its way to 100 feet south of the southeast corner of 2nd and Virginia Street. At 2.59 p.m., the Lincoln jumps the curb and careens down the sidewalk. It hits the curb about 20 miles an hour, a speed not likely to blow out the tires. The car rapidly accelerates to, to as high as 40 miles an hour, driving 100 feet down the sidewalk, witnesses will later say. Oh, my God. This is a nightmare. Yeah, so scary. It crosses the 2nd Street crosswalk and continues another 322 feet down the sidewalk in front of the bank, in front of the Harrah's, Nevada Club, the Herald's Club. Then it's back on Virginia Street, crossing to the southbound lane, stopping two blocks later behind traffic at 5th Street traffic light. The light is red. Destruction follows the car's path like an indictment. Five people are killed immediately and 24 are injured.
1: so this is just for no reason.
0: Does she's not even that that drunk, right? Mm-mm. Fourteen people will be sent to Washoe Medical Center, and the remaining ten to Mary's. Street signs, bloody parts, clothing—the wounded all lie dead on the sidewalk and in the gutter, like victims of a natural disaster.
1: Oh my God! Wait, does it say why she does it? Does it ever get to that, Jesse? I, I patiently sit through your stories i
0: never interrupt ever. every
1: week every week and now i just want to cut to the chase
0: sorry no,
1: okay I ask,
0: I ask all the same questions to you every single week so i know oh i know God. how it is
1: i'm at the edge of my seat no, literally
0: this, this article is amazing yes it's beautiful beautifully written i'm very yeah. impressed brian good job brian, brian. It takes only a few seconds for Ford to drive that five block total. For the victims, every second following the attack is an eternity, waiting for help to arrive, for family members to come, for the news of survivors and casualties. But the longest wait, some will later say, is for justice.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Brian is really coming out with these. I am
0: impressed. Marty Edmondson of Reno offers a chilling view. She came right at us. She came right at us with a body still on the hood of her car. And she looked like she was looking for somebody else to hit. This is insane. Yeah. (laughs) Literally. Literally. Priscilla Priscilla Ford doesn't resist when police remove her from the car. She is mad though. John Oaks is the deputy district attorney on call that day. I was dispatched down to a hit and run, he says. I thought they were kidding me. It's Thanksgiving. I got downtown and it's a fucking war zone. The bodies. (laughs) says he said the F word in the article. Oh my God. And the quote, deputy district attorney. Yeah. (laughs) There were bodies and shit everywhere. It was carnage. People were crying. Ambulances were responding. It was a clusterfuck. Wow.
1: I like him. Yeah. He says it like it is. What was that guy's name? His name is John Oakes. A good name john oaks yeah. he is a straight shooter that sounds like a cowboy deputy right there yeah
0: later oaks is told to keep an eye on ford there was a trauma center set up down at washoe med we had the victims coming in crying screaming family members crying and screaming she was right next door an officer and i were directed to maintain security because a lot of people wanted to kill her i bet yeah the murderous bitch Oak spent around five hours in the company of the killer. He says the most remarkable thing about her was her calmness mixed with callousness. She looked at me point blank and said, how many people did I kill? I said, five or six. No, wait,
1: shes you said she's mentally ill, but she knew what she was doing, it seems yeah, like. I'll get into that. Okay. How many people did I kill?
0: I said, five or six. She said, good. She was very placid, just like another day. Very matter of fact, very matronly, motherly. She was acting self-righteous, like she was justified in what she did. We couldn't figure out why at the time. I got down to Reno Police Department before she was brought into booking, and I had them set up the video so we could see the tape on how lucid she was. She knew who she was. She knew where she was. The tape was worth its weight in gold. The trial would not begin for a year. That's crazy. Why did it take so long? Initially, she was found incompetent to stand trial and sent to a mental treatment facility in 1981 in January. And then on April 29th, 1981, she was ordered to submit to treatment, including drug therapy. Finally, on August 4th, 1981, she was finally found competent for trial, which like okay. I that's confusing to me because but it's she like, was
1: held this whole time, though. Right. Of so course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: She was off the streets. The trial began November 12th, 1981, and would last nearly five months, making it at that time the longest and most expensive in Reno history. There was little doubt as to whether Ford drove the murder car. There were dozens upon dozens of witnesses to the act. The community's heart poured out into the injured and the killed. There was no lack of voices calling out for blood or for vengeance. All that was missing was a motive, one that the community could understand. Of the several motives offered, it seemed each one was crazier than the last, or at least was unfounded in reality. As details about the woman's life became clearer, the primary issue in the murder trial, Ford's ability to recognize the difference between right and wrong became murkier. The characters in the courtroom drama were almost cliches. At one table, the community's voice of retribution, District Attorney Cal Dunlap, he declared early that he wanted to see Ford's end in the Nevada gas chamber.
1: Oh, so they're gunning for the death penalty. Yeah, and the gas chamber didn't go away
0: until 1983, which at that point, it was then changed to lethal injection.
1: Mm. At the other,
0: public defender Lou Carnahan. The combatants were seconded by the police, doctors, witnesses to the act, and eventually by Ford's family and acquaintances. Ford was charged with six counts of murder And 23 counts of attempted murder Seven people had died of injuries Suffering from the attack But due to the issues involving In changing in the murder indictment She was only charged with six Ford's plea was also expected Not guilty by reason of insanity It's a desperation defense that rarely succeeds Still, Wags would say that she'd have to be crazy Not to try the insanity defense Years later, the Nevada Supreme Court Would agree with the Wags The more dead, the better a police officer quoted Ford as she waited for tests to determine her blood alcohol level and drug content at the Washoe Medical Center.
1: Yikes. Like, who said that? Yeah, I think that it makes sense that they went for insanity because it does not sound like a healthy person who no. would decide to do this to strangers. And she's not. It, and that's, it gets like really bad
0: because obviously, let's this is 1980. You know, and mental illness is not as widely discussed as it is today. I mean, she should have been in an institution before she 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 was There
1: was no bad day. There was no reason. It is something just – did she have any prior history of mental illness? You're such a writer. (laughs)
0: Because, (laughs) like, the way that you're even, like, asking these questions, it's so funny to me. I love it. She said, I deliberately planned to get as many as possible. A Lincoln Continental can do a lot of damage, can't it? Later, the officer testified Ford said, I am a New York teacher. I'm tired of life. I want attention. I'm sick of problems. In June 1980, a voice told me to drive through a crowd at a theater and kill as many as possible. But another voice said, she's too much of a lady to do that. That second voice she heard was Joan Kennedy's. That would be Joan Kennedy wife to Senator Edward Kennedy. The voice that counseled her against the mass slaughter was a nationally famous attorney. These celebrity relationships existed only in Ford's head.
1: So she's got to be schizophrenic, right? She's
0: paranoid schizophrenic has
1: to be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, yep. God, the poor thing and the poor people who suffered because she suffered.
0: Oh, yeah. So she also had fixation on Barbara Walters and thought that Walters was a beast. She wrote to a dear Abby. She sued a leadership of a um, Seventh Day Adventist church like she has just all of these relationships made up in her head ford's story evolved from almost the first moments after the crime she claimed to a psychiatrist that reno child welfare officials had stolen her 11 year old daughter winter scott seven years before so she committed the murders in order to get attention so that she could get some help finding her daughter
1: oh not the way to do it no it was true that officials
0: had taken her daughter after Ford had been arrested for trespassing and assault, but they'd been trying to contact the drifter Ford to tell her the child's whereabout for years. Still, vengeance for the loss of a daughter was a motive people could understand. The problem is that, uh, that other testimonies showed she'd known her daughter's location in Los Angeles with relatives for some time. Later, she claimed the car had suffered some kind of mechanical malfunction.
1: doesn't sound bloody likely.
0: No, it's just that we're not consistent here. It seems a person would have to be crazy to change stories with the knowledge of the earlier stories that had been widely reported in court and newspapers. Throughout the months leading up to the trial and the interspersed trial were the testimonies of expert medical witnesses who said Ford was suffering from a variety of mental illnesses, including... Paranoid, paranoid schizophrenia, schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. with religious delusions and paranoid psychosis according to newspaper reports she had been diagnosed as mentally unstable since as early as 1973 when she was diagnosed for having passive aggressive personality with hysterical episodes supposedly she shot her second husband and herself in 1957 um wow yeah but no charges were filed because it was considered self-defense and it was also 1957 so they weren't really
1: this is exactly why mental health care has to be available for every single person because you know because she was unable to get help now there are six seven seven people dead yep, in this yep. story and i mean so many
0: people witnessed that horrible thing on thanksgiving i mean thanksgiving is, they're
1: traumatized forever yeah. not to mention all the people who are probably grievously injured and might have carried their injuries for the rest of their life and so this is where it gets kind of like interesting because of the way the two
0: prosecutors go back and forth about the mental illness and pleading insanity so district attorney dunlap wasn't convinced though calling the insanity defense a sham but the biggest dispute at the trial boiled down to whether ford knew it was wrong for her to hurt and kill those people on virginia street that thanksgiving day of 1980 at various times in the trial ford was ruled competent and then incompetent to stand trial
1: Understand that. Mm-hmm
0: understand the charges against her or to assist her lawyers in her own defense the prosecution argued that medication made her competent and the court agreed of course it seemed once she was competent for trial she was also competent to decide whether she wanted to be medicated but that argument was quickly squashed with a new motion from prosecutor dunlap so it's like it's just crazy because she's She's, she needs to be in a mental institution. Yes, absolutely,
1: period. 100%. And mm-hmm. if
0: you're kind of bouncing back and forth between competent and incompetent in the middle of a trial where you need to be completely coherent and know what's going on and how to defend yourself or what the reality of the situation is, that unless you can do that, I don't understand how you're fit to be in trial. No,
1: and she needs to be committed and get help. And she's still off the streets. I mean, she's still unable to harm other people if she's yeah. committed to a mental institution, which seems like it would be likely that's what she would get. I think that the fear, I guess, would be that um, there would be a possible of re- possibility of release in the mental institution where there might not be in jail. So maybe yeah. that's why the district attorney is pushing for it. But there, then, there needs to be
0: some sort of facility for you know for people who need to be in an institution institution goes to jail um so the competency issue was part muddled by the fact that a person doesn't necessarily have to be sane to be competent enough to stand trial and the nevada insanity standard known as monoton rule doesn't say that competence to stand trial proves sanity or insanity at the moment of the that the crime was committed so wow okay
1: so what did they end up on first i need to tell you something (laughs) okay sorry (laughs)
0: So she testified that she is human and that she is divine and that she doesn't like being divine more than anyone else does. She doesn't want to be divine. So she's just on the stand talking about how she's like a divine form of Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. essentially. Um, The only person whose non-credentialed testimony seemed to have as much impact was the testimony of Winter Scott, her daughter, who Ford had claimed had been abducted by child welfare officials. Scott told of her youth with Ford, among other things, Ford taught her daughter how to smoke marijuana at the age of nine
1: whoa oh god this is terrible this is a terrible story at various
0: times ford had discussed her belief in her own divinity and had also suggested plans to have scott artificially inseminated in order to bring another messiah through virgin birth into the world
1: oh my god thank god this little girl got away from her oh god this is terrible she does she needs to be locked up somewhere and thank god that child was given to relatives
0: yep so she she got on the stand and She talked about, you know, the daughter talked about how her mom talked about Jesus Christ and about her being Jesus Christ and about her, you know, herself, the daughter being Jesus Christ. She talked to my aunt about me being artificially inseminated to bear a new Jesus Christ, like this poor girl. So she, her testimony really helped. And so although she immediately disputed the insanity plea claiming sanity, she said she wanted to be left alone to die in peace. The seven-woman, five-man jury took only 13 hours of deliberation to find Ford guilty of murdering six people and attempted and attempting to murder 23 others. All that was left was for the jury to decide whether she would be put to death in the gas chamber or receive life without the possibility of parole. It took nine more days to March 28, 1982, for the verdict, death in Nevada's gas chamber.
1: Oh, my God. Wow. That's not going to help her at no. all. Oh. So,
0: um, so, yeah. So the rest of the article goes on and talks about Lou Carnahan and his belief that she was legally insane and even under the strict not in test. If the jury found facts, as I believe they existed, she would be in a mental hospital, not in a prison. I certainly respect the jury and their efforts, but I think that they made the wrong decision in their interpretation of the facts. I think she should have been found not guilty by reason of insanity and placed in a secure facility such as Lakes Crossing. I believe she would have been able to be there for the, she would have been able to have been there for the rest of her life. So he's still 21 years later is fighting for how that was probably. Is she still
1: on death row? Nope. She passed
0: away from emphysema January 29th, 2005. She was 75 and she passed away in the Correctional Center, but from emphysema.
1: Oh my goodness. Yeah. Wow. What a tragedy all around. I mean, I can see how it would have been very hard for any jury member to give her a not guilty verdict, even with the lens of due to reason of insanity just because there's so many people injured and so many dead people and because of some of her statements, but at the same time she was clearly insane. She was clearly mentally incompetent,
0: paranoid, schizophrenic, you know? And so it's just like, of course she doesn't, she, she, you can, as a paranoid schizophrenic, you can be completely conscious of what you're saying and it still doesn't make sense to society and isn't for the safety of society. It's like, yeah. So it's, it's, Brian did a great job writing that, and it was really fun to read, and Priscilla Ford is raw,
1: but yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, oh God, I hope that everybody can, you know, in the future going forward, I hope we have healthcare that provides help to people who need it because this is just a travesty of human condition of, you know, the United States, but also many other places that don't offer good mental health. And it affects everyone. It affects everyone in our society deeply. This is just such a nightmare.
0: Yeah. It's the recognition of mental health, I think, is like where it has to start. And I think having having um, defense attorneys and people in the legal system who are recognizing it and fighting for it to be more, you know, to have different exemptions and
1: yeah, for in the people court. who really need them like this woman, Priscilla, because there's a lot of times defense attorneys use it as a way to get their clients off when they're not actually, you know, yeah. when they're pretty much mentally competent, you know? Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. Whoa,
0: okay. So Priscilla wow. Ford and her Lincoln Continental just plowing through Nevada.
1: Those are big cars. My grandparents had a Lincoln Continental. It's a boat. It's a boat. It's a boat. And she she knew it. You know,
0: part of her crazy mind knew that it was going to do the most damage possible. Like she, you know, Ugh. I think she was sad when she found out that A, when she got stopped at the traffic light and B, when she found out that she only killed five people. I think she was like, that's it?
1: <laughs> In this car? Man, she really, needed, uh, she really needed Joan Kennedy to step back up and, and speak to her again. You at Joan? Where are you at, Joan? Come back to me. Come back.
0: Crazy.
1: Also, like, so many people don't like Barbara Walters. I know. That's so weird. She's like the Hillary Clinton of that generation. (laughs) 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 Oh, okay. Well, I think that one's pretty crazy. We're going to have to do a debate for position one because. Nathaniel put this in position one, and it is definitely devastating for sure, for sure. But I don't know if it's as insane as that case was. So I'm so excited about this one. Drum roll, please. (laughs) Our number one most heinous murder on Thanksgiving is something that we titled Pumpkin Pie Before Murder. Oh, my. A man spends three hours eating, talking, even singing songs around the piano before executing four of his family members in cold blood. Jessica. Yeah, this one is in Florida. This one takes place in Fort Lauderdale. It is from an article from cbsnews.com by Edicio Martinez, and it also comes to us from 2009. Both my stories were 2009. That was a bad Thanksgiving. Oh Whoa. God! And there's we we'll have some photos, but these photos are heartbreaking. Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Paul Michael Merhige sat through three hours of Thanksgiving Day dinner and sing-alongs around the piano, plotting the moment he would fatally shoot four relatives. His cousin-in-law said Tuesday, after opening fire, Merhige was heard saying he had waited twenty years to kill them, according to the host of the dinner that turned deadly. There were no arguments, warnings, or red flags before the rampage, said Merhige's cousin-in-law, Jim Sitton, whose six-year-old daughter was killed. Stop. She's also, her name's Michaela, and there's pictures of her, and she is... The most beautiful, adorable, sweet-looking little girl I've ever seen, and my heart is broken in a thousand pieces. So there were more people there who didn't die? Yeah, there was I think there was like something like 14 people and he killed four, but he shot more. Merhage also shot his 79 year old aunt to death and killed his twin sisters, one of whom was pregnant, police said. What the fuck? He had this whole thing pre planned. His goal was to shoot his sisters and punish his parents, Sitin said. It's not clear exactly who was shot when, but the bloodbath could have been worse. Okay, yep. Yeah, this is there were sixteen family members present. Wow. Sitin said Merhij, 35, also pointed the gun at Merhige's uncle, but it twice wouldn't fire. At one point, according to Sitin, Merhij turned and started to walk away and said, I have been waiting 20 years to do this. Authorities were still searching for him. He hadn't been seen since the shootings. (gasps) So scary. At Sitton's home in an upscale gated community in Jupiter, a beach town some 55 miles north of Miami, crime scene tape still overshadows holiday decorations. Sitton said that the holiday meal was a happy one. His daughter, Michaela, who's a sweet baby angel, wrote on cards how thankful she was for her family and strung them on a clothesline. After dinner, she sang songs as part of an impromptu dress rehearsal for a performance of The Nutcracker that she was to be in the next day. Whoa, this guy's evil. Evil. Also, you have a choice of 16 family members and you're going to take out a sweet little six year old girl. She'd never done anything wrong to anyone. Are you kidding me? Sitton, a videographer for a local television station, said he doesn't know who invited Merhij to his home, but he thought little of it when Merhij's father called to say Merhij was on his way and needed directions. Sitten said that his wife's cousin was always on the fringe of family life and rarely attended gatherings. He had only met Merhij twice and hadn't seen him in more than a decade. Dude, don't don't feel pressure. This holiday season, this is going to be airing on a Monday. You guys have plenty of time till Thanksgiving on a Thursday. Do not let any family member force you to have any weird other family member come that you don't want in your home. Especially this year. Especially this year. This year, you shouldn't have anyone in your home. (laughs) But boundaries. like We are getting to a point in society where we can say family is family doesn't cut it anymore. If somebody is toxic… Cut them out. Do not let them in your house. They don't eat any pumpkin pie. No, they don't get any of your pumpkin pie. Sitton said that Merhij methodically picked off his victims, shooting his twin sisters, Carla, a real estate agent, and Lisa, who was pregnant. Like Michaela, they loved to sing. Oh, my God. Merhij also shot his aunt. Merhij's brother-in-law, Patrick Knight, was in critical but stable condition at at a hospital Tuesday. Another man, Clifford Gabara, 52, was grazed by a bullet. Sitten doesn't think Merhij planned to kill Michaela, but thinks he became jealous when he saw the family delight in her singing. What the fuck? You're jealous? Of You're a 35-year-old man jealous of a six-year-old. He tried to snuff out the light, Sitton said. He came into a baby's room. He saw her innocence and he walked in and he purposely killed her. Oh, my God. Oh, this is so sad. Sitton said he dreaded returning to his home, but was comforted when he walked into his daughter's room Sunday. Beside her bed, he wept when he read for the first time a novel she had been writing about a squirrel. Jessie. That's the cutest thing I've ever heard and the most tragic. Oh, my God. I'm going to cry. Michaela was a voracious reader who loved to sing, dance, and tell stories. She would have turned seven in just a few days. Oh, my God. Jupiter police were looking in bodies of water near the home, though the search wasn't based on any specific tip. Investigators also alerted Michigan authorities to be on the lookout for more because a doctor in the Detroit area treated him there three months ago. Authorities have not said what the doctor treated him for. Sitton called Merhij a monster but said he didn't know if he suffered from mental illness. Court documents show Merhij and his siblings had a troubled history. Nearly a decade ago, Merhij sought protection from law enforcement after he accused his sister of trying to kill him, according to records obtained by the Miami Herald. He dropped the request a few weeks later. In 2006, Carla Merhij requested a restraining order against her brother saying he threatened to kill her and himself, the newspaper reported. Yeah, he should not have been invited to Thanksgiving. No. No, no, no. She also withdrew her request a few weeks later. Merhage was believed to be driving a Royal Blue 2007 Toyota Camry. Prosecutors issued an arrest warrant Saturday for four counts of first-degree murder and two counts of attempted first-degree murder. A $10,000 reward was offered for information leading to his arrest. He was found, guys, I just want you to know, he was arrested. He ended up pleading guilty and he got life in prison without the possibility of parole. Thank, Thank God.
0: God. Thank God.
1: Yes. Thank God. Oh, what an animal.
0: What a piece of shit. This was
1: some vendetta he had against his twin sisters.
0: Yeah, his real estate twin sister or the pregnant one tried to kill him. Like what? I like- don't know.
1: Uh, I think it, that Carla was the real estate one.
0: Come on, dude.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. Yeah. So this holiday season – say no to crazy relatives
0: yeah it's just like like we said this one particularly
1: yeah this one is a special year so we if you are catching up many years in the future and you're binging old old episodes try to remember where you were thanksgiving 2020 it was a different time
0: Also, I feel like it's this is like a great year to like start establishing your boundaries or reestablishing your boundaries. Perfect. Like, you know, you don't want them to come in the future. Just cut them out now. I mean, it's COVID. Just blame it on COVID.
1: Everyone, blame it on COVID. Use this time to, you know, find a therapist that you can work with virtually, get a handle of your own mental health issues. You know, reach out to people that you do care about. Cut off people that have harmed you, especially if you have had multiple restraining orders against them in the past. Now is the time.
0: It's not It's not the year to try to bring people in.
1: No. Nope. So, well, this was a very depressing Thanksgiving. Uh, but thank I like, you. I feel like for some of our October's
0: were too, and people yeah. loved them.
1: So <laughs> I think, I think, I mean, everybody's here for the true crime. So uh, this know. is what we delivered today, and we just want to say that this Thanksgiving we are thankful for you, our listeners, for sure. And guys, I have the most incredible story. It's a family annihilator type story who goes on the lamb for years and years and America's most wanted plays a role in his capture. Oh no. Crazy. It's a wild, wild story. I'm sure that just given on that description, so you guys can figure out exactly who I'm covering. So feel free to DM us and we will definitely give you a little shout out. If you figured it out who I'm talking about.
0: So in conclusion, stay safe stay healthy, and eat plenty of pumpkin pie.
1: Yes, and remember, no matter how annoying your relatives are, you can't kill them. Nope. nope. Don't end up on our show, guys. We like you too much as listeners, not subjects. (laughs) (laughs) Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye. Bye.